It feels like Hollywood now is checking boxes, you know, and they're, they're sort of, the motive behind a lot of these decisions are simply to check a box. Whatever you're making the film about, I think there should be someone behind the camera whose gaze is similar. Yes, you can have the idea, you can tell the story, but you gotta get the voices right. You know, you gotta get the right people in there. Welcome in to a bonus edition of the Fright Club podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from madwolf.com. And this podcast was recorded live at Nightmares Film Festival in Columbus, Ohio at the Gateway Film Center. We love this festival. We love it every year. We look forward to it every year, especially this year because they screened our film, Obstacle Corpse, and it was the greatest day ever. It really was. It was, it was better than that day I met Duran Duran. <laughs> wow. It was. That's... That just shows you how great it was. Yeah, every year it cements its reputation as one of the premier film festivals in the world. No doubt about that, especially horror film festivals. A full disclosure, both of us are on the jury panel, and it's just a great sense of community for filmmakers, for film fans, and highly recommended. Hope you can get it on your calendar. It'll be right back at Gateway next October, and we would love to see you. And one of the many, many highlights of the festival is every year they do panels. Mm -hmm. And uh, this year, I've been wanting to record them for years now Mm -hmm. and finally got it done. So we've got this podcast today. And then a few weeks later, we'll have another one uh, where they did a, a panel on distribution for films, which is very informative. That'll be a good one, too. But they started out with the panel that they do, I think, pretty much every year on social progress. And uh, it's a great panel with some good insights. So uh, that's the first one recorded in its entirety, moderated by uh, Jason Tostevin. Jason Tostevin is the programmer and co-founder of Nightmares Film Festival. He's also the producer of our film, Obstacle Corpse. And he has a a great part in Obstacle Corpse as well. And an excellent head of hair. (laughs) He does. (laughs) So Jason is the first voice you'll hear. He is the moderator, and he will introduce the panel and really kick off a great conversation. So hope you enjoy. This is the social progress panel of the 2022 Nightmares Film Festival. Welcome, everyone to Nightmares Film Festival 2022, day three. This is the part of the festival where we start to think, I made it. (laughs) I made it another day, holy shit. Uh, Well, good news is you got terrific things through uh, into late tonight and throughout tomorrow and a great community to connect to and we're so happy that you're here. And I'm especially happy, and I know Chris is too, that you're here to join us for our sixth annual Social Progress Through Horror panel. So this is a panel that we hold every year. Uh, It will be a permanent fixture in our program, just like our new distribution panel that will follow it, um, that Chris will uh, moderate. We think these are really, really important conversations. And they're also ever-evolving conversations. There's no destination. They're a journey. We have to get better at each of them and learn more about them as they evolve. So thank you for being here. We are going to ask for participation from the audience. We'll start with questions and conversation with our panelists. But this is absolutely a conversation for all of us to participate in. A couple ground rules. I will moderate. My first job is to make sure everybody stays safe. So if I ask you to stop talking, please stop talking, okay? If we've stumbled into an area where somebody's gonna be uncomfortable or hurt, I'll just end it. So just pay attention there, please. 
the definition we'll be using collectively of social progress. This is not the dictionary definition, but the one we'll use for the purpose of this conversation is equity and equality, equity and equality of opportunity. So that's just what we're going to use as our thesis. Okay, you, you don't have to use it later or believe in it later, but that's what the panel has all agreed to use. And the purpose of this conversation really is to explore two things. One is our opportunity to advance progress through genre work, and the other is our responsibility, to the extent that we have one, to do that same thing. And I'm joined by six terrific panelists who are also creators here at the festival. And before we dig into our meaty questions, would each of you just introduce yourself and your project? and then just pass the mic like the Beastie Boys. Hi, um, my name is Rekhafet Abergel. I have a short screenplay here called Still. And anyone that wants to read it, please do. I'll send it to you. Yes. <laughs> Hi, my name is Scarlett Moreno, and I have a short film that is screening today at 4 called Velma. So please let me know what you think if you get a chance to watch her. Hi, I'm Devin Shepard. I'm a producer of the short film Eat, which is screening tomorrow before Johnny Z at, at noon. Uh, hi, I'm Allison Mattingly. I am the writer, director, and star of a short film called They Are Not Human, which unfortunately screened yesterday. But uh, What was unfortunate about it? Because <laughs> well, nobody can see it. <laughs> nobody can see it now. Through the Unless magic of links, machines. they can. <laughs> but if you want to come up to me afterwards, <laughs> please uh, feel free to do so. And I'll figure out something, get you a screener for it. So. Uh, my name is Elias Hinojosa, and I am the writer-director of Widow, a short that screened last night at 8 p.m. Hello, my name is Jared Janushka. Um, I'm the co-writer and director of They See You. Uh, it's playing tonight at midnight, um, but if you can't make it or if you're listening to this later, it'll be coming out on Alter uh, very shortly, so just Google it, check it out. Well done. Well done, everyone. This isn't your first rodeo. So to get us started and to get a sense of the landscape, first question for all of you, whoever would like to respond. What letter grade would you give the current state of equity in filmmaking opportunity? So the equal, the equal access to opportunity in filmmaking, what letter grade would you give it right now? And just 30 seconds on why. Whoever would like to go in whatever order. I'll start. <laughs> I'll start. Um, okay, this might be like very positive, naive thinking, but I'm gonna give her a C minus because we are barely passing. We are passing, we are just starting to do the reading, we're starting to be engaged in class, mm. but we're barely doing so. Thank you so much for going with the metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of that. Yeah, we're showing up to class, you know, and we're taking notes, yes. so, but the, the final exam has yet to come, I think. <laughs> Wait, what's your grade? My grade? Yeah. I agree, it's a C, C. solid C. Yeah. C minus, okay. Solid C minus. I was going to agree. I was going to say keeping positive a C minus. Yeah. Um, I would say a lot of people, though, think that it's a little bit higher in terms of like Hollywood flashing. Like, no, we're doing okay. We're, we're doing a B. Um, but I think, you know, especially with the recent 
confusion with the Warner Brothers shutting down their opportunities um, and reinstating them. I think we're, we're heading towards a place where, um, and I don't mean to be fatalistic again, but um, we, we can definitely be doing it better. 100%. Uh, I'm just going to parrot the grades before me. Um, but I do want to mention even taking the word equity um, in another direction. I've found uh, most of my work deals with like mental health that I find equity. Um, you know, I, I invest in all my own projects, but I find equity from people that care about the topic. Um, and so I do think that there is a, we live in a capitalist society and actually being activists creates its own market as well. Um, so I think there is a future in that. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with the C that we are all <laughs> assigning this uh, paper. Um, and yeah, uh, definitely, like, I think there has obviously been a lot of uh, progress that's been made over the last few years, and you see some initiatives, but definitely those seem like they are could be expanded and are in danger somewhat. So just solidifying those and, and really, uh, you know, room to improve. I'm just going to say I agree, but also it depends on what group we're talking about. I think there may be different grades yeah, for different sure. groups of people. Mm -hmm. Some are better than others. I don't think anyone's much above a C or a C minus, um, but some are even lower. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I think that's wise, Kef. And I think um, I'm, I'm buoyed that everybody's talking C. And I, I think you're right, it's probably optimistic. And I do think we have some reason to be optimistic. It does seem like there is energy. Yeah, exactly. But I think, kept to your point, it's uneven, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So let's explore that a little bit. Uh, where are we doing better? Where are we doing worse? What are the barriers to moving that grade up to becoming a B, you know, getting to an A? What, what, what's in the way right now? What, What's the thing we really need? What are the things we need to tackle? Yeah, Alec. Uh, I'd say like one of the biggest things is that, you know, I think we are seeing uh, a little bit more opportunity for uh, marginalized voices to come forward and make films. But I think an area that could be improved upon is that when those movies maybe don't perform as well, a lot of the times the diversity aspect is what's being targeted and blamed for the negative impact, uh, you know? And so I think, having that opportunity and giving those movies the same opportunity and the same forgiveness that you might give a you know, cis male filmmaker uh, <laughs> in this industry uh, is, is an area that could really be, uh, is where I feel is a, a major point that could be improved for the larger industry. Um, I think a huge word here to focus on too is intersectionality. Mm -hmm. So when two different marginalized uh, groups come together, or two or three or four or five million, um, in one place, in one film, in one uh, genre, I think that gets even less of a chance. So I think moving anything. Oh, that's interesting. Moving, any, like, because they'll say, like, oh, we got the feminist slant, cool. Or, yeah. oh, we got the queer slant, great. But what about the, like, POC, queer, disability, like, you know, all of it comes together to sometimes get, like, less of a of a voice, I think. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we move that forward, intersectionality in, in all spaces. Yeah, like bouncing off of what you said, it feels like Hollywood now is checking boxes, you know, and they're, they're sort of, the motive behind a lot of these decisions 
are simply to check a box. And, and we feel it, you know? Like, we can feel it when we watch it, when, when we experience it. That, that, that it doesn't feel um, like an authentic motive. In the spirit of checking boxes, I totally agree. I think there are so many people out there who are now like poster people for certain communities. And um, something that I tend to do when I watch a film is like, okay, great, this is, um, you know, it, it's female directed, female forward. Um, it has a diverse cast in terms of race and, and sexuality and gender. But then I look at the crew and I start counting and I start Googling and I'm like, it's, it's all cis white men. And we're not seeing people hiring people behind the camera to match what their movie is telling us to do. And there I can see a huge improvement. Mm -hmm. um, on a sort of bright side of things, the way I look at it is um, a lot of it I think is uh, like archaic cultural bias. And those people are gonna die or age out of their positions. <laughs> and that like, you know, it's, the fact that we're all basically on the C page together is really wonderful. Um, and I do think that part of the people checking boxes is uh, people trying to exploit um, for marketing purposes, that sort of thing. Um, and there, I think there are some people also that are within the system trying to actually push the envelope forward. Um, but at the end of the day, it's sort of like, uh, it just sort of feels like any sort of social movement where you have to keep pushing, you have to keep showing up and doing kind of like the hard work and realizing like, okay, it's gonna be better in the next 10 years, the next 20 years, as long as we keep showing up, as long as we keep making really great films and making them actually about the movies. Um, I think that's what's gonna kind of be the ending triumph. Let's talk about this dichotomy of um, it being a, a marketing play uh, versus being authentic. Is there value in representation that was meant to make money and doesn't come from an authentic place? What is the value of it versus do we tackle that and go, hey, you just did that to sell tickets. You need to do it for a different reason. Talk about the value of the motivation there. I think there's some value because at least it's being represented. Um, and not a lot of people will do the Googling and will check, so maybe they're just seeing what's on the screen, and so maybe that is helpful. Like we were talking, I was talking with Ali about how Will and Grace really changed television, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, and now there's not a character, there's not a, uh, there's almost no shows on TV that doesn't have at least one queer character, which is fantastic. Now again, there's the motivation behind it, um, so it's, it, I think there's a benefit to it, but also, in some ways it's more harmful because you're exploiting that idea and you're trying to sell tickets and you're trying to use people's traumas <laughs> for um, capitalistic purposes and I think that that's not okay. And it does matter who, where it's coming from. We were talking about like if there's like a big rape scene in a movie or whatever, like was it directed by a woman? Maybe that makes a difference. Like, whose who's gaze are we looking through? And I think when it's the wrong gaze, it's almost more harmful than helpful to, to I want to hear from the rest of the panel, so I know yeah. you have thoughts. Yeah. No, 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 but I want to follow up on something you said. What's the wrong gaze? I don't mean the do male it? gaze is the wrong gaze, but I just make, whatever whatever you're making the film about, I think there should be someone behind the camera whose gaze is similar to the 
what but the say film more about is that because I, I I don't know if everybody uh, this isn't yeah, yeah dig in there so why is that important? Um, I think it's important because I, that's how people are going to perceive it, right? So if I I I am not going to write a movie about slavery in the 1800s because I don't feel like I can speak to any of that. That is not where it shouldn't be coming from me. Not I think it should be said and it should be made, but it shouldn't be coming from me. And I think it would be a completely different, it maybe even exploitative film coming from somebody like me versus you know somebody else. I've seen like there's look I'm I'm Jewish. I'm very outwardly Jewish, um, and. There are films that are about Jewish people and Jewish families, and there's not one Jew in it. <laughs> and it's just like, I don't feel like that's an authentic um, perspective. I just feel like you're just doing the stereotypical thing, and you're like, you got the stereotypical Jewish mother, and you got the stereotypical nerdy Jewish guy, and you got the stereo, and it's like upsetting because it feels like, okay, great, you're telling our stories, but who's telling the story? Okay. Back to the rest of you. Uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, just building on that. I think that is the main thing with sort of, you can tell when something is being sort of superficially done or like you have that sort of tokenism with the maybe actor in it, uh, but you don't really have that authenticity of the message and the rest of the uh, behind the scenes making it feel real. Um, I mean, you can look at things where like even Transparent, which was, you know, a huge milestone for trans representation in media, but you have a star who is, you know, it's played by, still played by a cis man like Jeffrey Tambor, who then kind of ruined that show because he was doing Turned cis out to white be guy a piece things. Of shit. Um, and yeah, so I think having that extra layer of authenticity, it has to be more than that surface level of representation. You know, that's just showing up. You have to put in that effort and have to give those voices you know, authentic support, not just superficial. Uh, I think perspective is like a keyword here, and it's a really easy way to understand the word gaze also. Um, so as, as we integrate filmmakers from different walks of life, different uh, communities, they can't help but tell their stories from their perspective, right? I can't help but tell my story from the perspective of a woman. And if I see a film, um, that even touches on abortion, positively or negatively, if there's a man directing it, not super interested. So, you know, I think it's about perspective. Um, so, I, I always find these conversations just so interesting um, because I think it, at the end of the day, becomes about agency, right? Because if it's like you have where the money's coming from, or, I mean, we work in such a collaborative art form, you really can't get away from it. Um, there's uh, there's that whole auteur theory of like, oh, how do we all come from the director, but how much of it is really coming from the crew? And at the risk of Jason, if it's all right, if I ask a quick question. Go. Um, how do all of you, because I mean, I feel like in all of our stories, um, some of your movies I've gotten to see, which are wonderful, how do you, um, I guess, empower your cast or your crew um, to have agency within their roles, their functions, um, to, I guess, in a way, like disassemble that, you know, because it's not like you're Jewish. It's not like every single person in your script is a Jewish woman, you know? So how do you bring in more of those experiences into your screenplays, into your films? I don't even, I don't, I have to think about it for a second. Yeah, no, <laughs> I don't have an answer right away. 
don't mean to scare you. <laughs> no, no, <sorry. laughs> um, I guess I can I can speak on that a little bit because uh, with with my short, they are not human. Uh, we did have a largely uh, queer crew uh, and female led crew, um, and you know part of that uh, too was uh, you know just bringing in those people that we wanted to work with. My producer was amazing and he really advocates for inclusivity and collaboration and having people's voices heard. Uh, Hank Kilgore, he's amazing. <laughs> I had to give him a shout out. But, uh, you know, obviously uh, in that film, you know, the, the lead was a trans woman, which I played, but then uh, the co-lead was initially written as a cis woman. Uh, but then when I cast it, I hired someone who was non-binary. And so I really let them uh, lead a lot of uh, where that character went because you know even though we're both under the trans umbrella, we have very different experiences and I wanted to honor that as well. And you know some of the uh, some of the cast were cis gay men and I wanted them to kind of lead it. So it's just like kind of allowing that collaboration and allowing voices to be heard and, and to help guide it so you can create one narrative. Yeah, sure. Um, with with my film Widow, uh, I I kind of approached it as cinema as an opportunity of therapy because for me that's that's what storytelling is. You know, that's how I um, figure my shit out. You know, through storytelling, through through cinema, and through genre. And when my because my movie stars my grandmother. She's a non-actor, never acted before. We shot in her own home, and. Um, my grandfather passed. She had been struggling with mental health, aging woman, alone in a big house, and we were all worried about how she might react, you know? And so I wanted to gift her this creative opportunity to sink her teeth into and figure herself out. And I think that cinema and, and genre has the, that ability to to give to someone, you know, and to give to our crew, to give to our actors. And, and I think it is a responsibility as creators to create this environment that's safe, that you can let art just kind of live and, and learn from and better the lives of not only the people who watch it, but the people who are involved in it as well. Um, just, I think, to answer your question, I hope I'm answering your question. Um, uh, right now, I'm trying to make a very Jewish horror feature. <laughs> um, it's called "He's a Vampire," but at least he's Jewish. And um, and I'm getting. I like the first one as the title, though. Thank you. What the oh? A very Jewish horror feature. Yes, he's a very Jewish. It's yeah. a very Jewish. We were gonna put "Love is a Pain in the Neck" or something, but. Um, <laughs> But anyway, I, I'm coming across a lot of people telling me like, oh, it's too niche or it's too this or it's too specific or whatever. And I'm like, first of all, I'm sure there's an audience for it. Also, you don't have to be Jewish to enjoy it. And you don't even have to like horror movies to enjoy it. <laughs> like it's kind of a, it's a horror comedy. Um, but I think that to answer your question, I would bring, like I'm really trying to bring in the leadership to be coming from the same perspective. Like I want my producers to come from a Jewish background. Not, not because, I want to only hire Jewish people. It's just like I, I want the leadership. It has to come from the top, and then the crew can obviously can be made up of anybody. But it's like, where? How are we steering the ship, right? Like if when I made Boo's short that was here a few years ago, they thank you, Bob. <laughs> Um, the, it, it was a very female-driven story for me, and I made sure that our crew was, I think we were more than 50% female, um, and we had 
you know, it was just important to have that um, representation behind the camera in order to like present it from the perspective that I wanted it to be presented from. And so you can start from the top down and and hope that that translates to the final product. Thank you. Okay, our time is flying by. So uh, <clears throat> uh, audience, I hope you will have questions or comments or engagement. When you do, you'll have to come down here because we're recording this for a podcast, so you have to get on the mic to ask it. I guess I could re repeat it for you if you prefer, if you don't want to come down. Three, three topics in there that are all multi-hour conversations that I do want to surface because for some, some of us accept them as givens and some people don't know what the fuck we're talking about. So the first one is, Scarlett, I think you said if a man makes a movie about abortion, I'm not that interested. What I want to talk about is extending one more layer of this idea of the value of perspective and authenticity. Why do people who feel that way, why do they feel that way? And why is it not for the people who go, oh, well, can anybody tell a story? Like, help, help them understand the value of, no, we need an authentic perspective. So try to keep it 30 seconds-ish, but I'd love to hear from anybody who's got a point of view on that. I think because we've seen it before, I think that's that's the really big thing about it too, is like these are the perspectives that we haven't seen. We haven't seen the woman's perspective on the abortion because we haven't had the opportunity to. And it's all about creating that opportunity to see what else is there that we haven't learned yet? What else haven't we seen on the scene, especially in genre? You know, we're so, um, we fall into tropes so easily. So it, it's, it's really good to start breaking out of them and seeing these perspectives. You. Uh, really quick, my script this year is about child loss, and I got feedback from a very big festival that I won't mention, and their feedback was, why is there no man in this story? Why is there not a male perspective in this story? Oh. And I was so pissed off I'll never submit Because we to have them such again. a fucking deficit of that. And I was like, um, because I've seen this story from a man's perspective before, <laughs> and I wanted, this is a woman who lost a baby, so I think it's more important that it's the woman's story, because not to say that it doesn't affect men, of course it does, but I mean, come on, thank, <laughs> like, but Kef, come on. Thank you for saying that, because that's exactly why I pushed on this topic, because there are people who have no idea, they just don't they understand, don't and have a really emotional response to like, right. who are you to tell me I can't tell that story? Right. I would like to try to reach those people and help them understand like this, yeah. why this is such an they absurd. Said, they said, if this had a male perspective, it would be a better script. Mm. That's literally what the feedback said. I just want to say that I've <laughs> had the exact same experience, a film about a woman's perspective of a miscarriage. Yeah. And the, the feedback was, why isn't this about the man? I was like, there's like, there's no men in the script. And I was like, who fucking cares? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Sorry for, <laughs> just, I, I think I'm Scarlett's sorry. reaching. Um, no, no, that's true. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. And I know this is being recorded. So if I'm wrong, you can either keep it or leave it. But the <laughs> Queen and Slim, um, was the idea was by a, a man, right? And he, I'm sorry, a white man, and he found a uh, woman of color to direct it, right? I think that's right. Which I think is a beautiful example of like, yes, you can have the idea, you can tell the story, but you gotta get the voices right. You know, you gotta get uh, the right people in there. Great example. Jared, I think you had something. Yeah, I'm just gonna shout out uh, to my producers, Max Curry and Anna Tran. Um, we have a very collaborative process, uh, partly I think because they both just love the shit out of producing. Um, and for me, it's like they recognize that I 
know how to direct and do a set. And you know, any time that we're dealing with multi-perspective characters, it's not so much of a dictatorship coming from the director. Um, it's a collaboration, you know? And so it, very much for me, I pull from them anytime it's dealing with like, you know, a female perspective or an African-American perspective, you know, because I think nothing sucks more than when you like look up at the screen and you're like, oh, not only is this like, this is just inauthentic, like why are we watching this, you know? Okay, all right, thanks. There are two other things I wanna to come to, but we've got audience starting to queue up to get engaged. So first up, Johannes, you wanna ask your question or make your comment? Oh yeah. Uh, first of all, I want to bless you and your fucked up country. Um, so, uh, so and, uh, don't worry, I'm, I'm a good old Catholic atheist. Uh, I don't like Protestant atheists or Jewish atheists or something like that. Uh, okay, so, so my comment would be, because I'm, I'm coming with a European perspective on the whole thing. So first of all, thanks a lot for doing this. Because, uh, I mean, of course, it's different in different European countries, but the discourse in the US is so much more ahead of many, many countries in Europe that in a certain way, uh, it's strange, it's a, a strange dichotomy that on the one hand, like, what the fuck is going on in the US and what, and it's so horrible and you would think of like, my God, uh, there's nothing to be learned from what's going on in politics in the US. But at the same time, there's a lot to be learned because some of the discourses you've been talking about are so way more ahead and in other countries, that you are kind of like a shining light uh, concerning that kind of stuff. So this is kind of like a statement of, of uh, thank you for that and thank you for doing it. Uh, because, uh, I mean, you really like, especially the entertainment industry, how small or big it might be from indie till the blockbusters that are made in the US. That is the cultural export that is really important around the world that the US is actually generating, yeah? I'm not talking about defense budgets and stuff like that. What's really counting is the cultural projects that are coming out of the United States of America. So thank you, uh, ambassadors, or whatever the gender neutral term for ambassador is. Um, but uh, so my question would be, um, I mean, it's all baby steps. We're going step by step by step by step by step. Uh, what is your personal experience? Let's say, looking back at the last five years, where do you think you will be in five years? Because I've, I think that the last five years were enormous steps towards diversity of representation and also in crews, et cetera. That, like, is there a possibility to say what you think will be in five years and what that might mean? <laughs> Thank you very much. So where, what, what's the trajectory now? Where will we be in five years? What do you think? How optimistic are you? Um, well, that depends. I think it depends on which way the pendulum will swing in five years from now. Um, because, I mean, artists, we fight the good fight regardless of, of exterior forces and politics. Um, in five years, I will still be fighting the good fight and, and telling stories that I think need to be told, haven't been told yet. I think that's a, a great way that we can bounce the C to a B, identify what stories aren't being told. I mean, uh, Latino stories are, are few and far between. I mean, look at Batgirl. And so I think there's still a lot of progress left to be made and, and just identifying the U.S. loves to sensationalize everything. They love to make a scandal out of everything, and, and, and it's hard to not feed into that. So I think as genre makers, as we go against the grain a lot, <laughs> and, and 
I think that's a, that's a great thing. So we need to keep doing that. Uh, yeah, just kind of building on that, especially in the genre space of horror, I think we're definitely seeing uh, more than any other genre, a sort of trend upward and in the right direction. And my hope is that in five years, we'll continue that trend and see more diverse voices coming through. And, you know, because horror has always been a reflection of the times, and the harder the times are, the more those voices need to speak up. Uh, and I, I hope that they continue to do so. And like we talked about earlier, that the powers that be that are keeping them down fade out. Technology pushes the democratization of film. Um, anybody can pick up cameras. More movies are being made all over the world. I think even uh, major streaming services are realizing that and opening up offices. Um, I think that the US has in the past had a very strong cultural export of our beliefs. But I also think that, especially with streaming services and great foreign films, um, I think that it's actually gonna become more of an equal exchange and less gatekeeping. Um, I'm I'm also bisexual, and I cannot find stories that speak authentically yeah. to that at all. Um, and I think that's something that I hope in the next five years gets better. I literally can maybe name one thing that I can think of off the top of my head that even barely scrapes the surface. And we just get left out <laughs> of everything. We get left out of the queer space. We get left out of the straight space. And it's it sucks because we're we're the B. In the LGBT, we're not. It's not a silent B. It's there. It's yeah. really there. I so love that. <laughs> we're not a silent I, I just, B. Can I take my moderator hat off for a second and just say I'm immensely optimistic. I have two queer kids. I have a bisexual kid and a trans kid. I get challenged ruthlessly every day, which is the best. Right? Keeps me vibrant and learning. And to hear their conversations when they replace the people who are in place now, it'll be an entirely different world. I do think the next five years are going to be really fucking rocky. Yeah. And I think, you know, allyship, support, money, time are all going to be incredibly important to bridge us to that place. But that's just personally where I am in my, in my personal life. Did anybody else want to weigh in on this before we? Oh, I, I was just going to build on what you were saying, Jason, because, you know, it's like, you know, if you asked me that question even three years ago prior to this pandemic, yeah, it looked like things were great. You know, I came out in the pandemic when it was like, it was scary, but you know, it looked like things were going up. But the last few years have really seen a very scary movement in the, the queer community. And uh, yeah, it's gonna definitely be a rocky fight, but I think it's one we're gonna win. I do too. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, um, uh, the old adage that it's always darkest before dawn, mm -hmm. but also that you have to diagnose the problem before you can treat it. And I think the problem is like been rearing its fucking head, and it's almost like the zombie's last hand that's out of it. the <laughs> right. out of the dirt. Like I think that's what's happening with 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 the people that we're talking about. I think so. you're right. It's death throes, yeah. but they're they're violent. violent. Bobby, come on down called me Bobby. <laughs> so I know that we talk a lot about the different uh, the different minority groups, right? Women and the queer audience and things like that. How are you feeling about the periphery things around that? Like body positivity, sex positivity, age positivity. How are we working to improve those things in our films? Um, well, as um, a person of a larger stature, I underline 
<laughs> that's a very important thing to me as well. And it's, it's getting better. Um, I, I, it used to be that they were like, you can't play the lead in, a, in anything. You're not a leading lady. Um, but now I see more of that in on television and in films, which is great. Um, and more and like you know more romantic leads uh, kind of stuff. And that's kind of why I started making my own films anyway, because I was like, I want to be the romantic lead. I want to be the lead. Why can't I be the lead? Why you know whatever. So I think that's also getting better. Not all of the things that you mentioned. There's like the age thing, which is not getting better. I don't think. Um, and I hope that it continues to get better. It's unfortunate that it. I just want it to be, I, want it, I can't wait for it to be just the norm. And it's not a weird thing, it's not a special thing that like, oh, there's a, a bigger actress in this role or whatever, like it should be not even discussed, you yeah. know? Like that's where I hope we get to. Uh, yeah, I mean, speaking from it uh, from a trans perspective, that was something that was really important to me with, with my short and, you know, going back to like I said with, you know, before a few years ago, most trans women were played by men. And I think seeing that push to have actual trans women representing our community, sharing our stories, uh, is really important. And beyond that, uh, like with my film, I initially was looking to cast somebody else to play the lead. And uh, you know, my initial thinking was like, oh, I want to find somebody who is passing and you know looks more like a cis woman. And I kind of had to come to that decision, like, no, I don't want. Uh, you know, obviously there are amazing, uh, beautiful trans women who pass. I mean, Jamie Clayton's amazing. I love her. Uh, but I wanted to see somebody that looks like me on screen. And then I did go <laughs> on screen. Uh, and exactly like you. Exactly. It was it was uncanny. <laughs> but that was really important to me. And, and having those things, those uh, you know, flaws by, based off of society, but like that are, are beautiful in their own way and uh, showing those lived experiences. Um, I would just want to bounce off of that. With my film Widow, working with my own grandmother, I had to I had to kind of break through to her and, and say, you're you're playing a version of yourself, but imagine this character doesn't have a loving grandson she can call, you know? So, and, and what would that look like? Because there are millions of other women and men like my grandmother, who are who are in the same predicament when their loved one dies, you know, and they're aging and their minds are withering, and and those and those stories are often forgotten. And, and I wanted to make sure she knew that, and it, it fed her performance, knowing that, that she can speak to other people, um, other women of a, of a certain age like her. Devin, did you have anything on this? Um, I think something that I've been seeing, I do have like optimism about this specifically, I think because we the social media is really reflecting, I think, a lot in television and film right now um, in terms of we want just we're seeing a lot more people out there who are becoming, uh, that have bigger voices, that have bigger say in things that aren't necessarily, you know, the stereotypical people that we've seen in the past. And I think people are waking up to it a little bit more and they want, you know, especially in the younger audiences, they want their characters to reflect um, what's coming up in the world. So I, I have a lot of optimism for, especially the young audiences, to see a lot more um, um, diversity in terms of uh, everything that you were talking about. Super briefly, because I'm gonna keep us moving. Go ahead, okay. Jared. Um, linking it to the comment before, um, this idea of positivity and agency, is that I think there can be this notion that everyone needs to be good, but I think that characters just need to be real. Um, and that art, I, I think you can't put horror in a box and say like, oh, it needs to be this way to push forward acceptance or an agenda or anything like that. I think it just has to be done um, in a way that's conscious. 
John, you have a question. Come on down. I just had a question about um, when you're talking about perspective behind the camera. Sorry. I agree with uh, everything that you're saying about you know representation and authentic perspective. And what you said about the Queen and Slim example was interesting to me because I was thinking about Bros, the romantic comedy that just came out, which was directed by a straight man but co-written with Billy Eichner and um, also like Moonlight, for example, which Barry Jenkins is not gay, but he adapted it from uh, a story written by a gay man. And, you know, I just wanted to ask you how you feel about those kind of collaborations. Because, for example, my short um, features gay characters and our actors were gay, and I co-wrote it with one of the actors, uh, but I'm a straight, cis, white man. And, and I was very, trying to be very conscious of that perspective and, and including those voices in, in the process, you know, so. Yeah, how do you feel about those? Uh, I mean, that's the key word, right? You were conscious, and you were um, trying to do that. You were trying to include those voices. And I think, like I said earlier, like collaboration with the voices you are, you know, I would, I would not even say speaking for, speaking with, right, is important. So yeah, I think that's the answer is like, yes, again, we can tell a variety of stories, but we just have to make sure to have the voices of the people that we want to tell the story included. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just film is a collaborative medium. And so, yeah, as long as you're inviting those voices to the table, I think, yeah, it's the intention of it that is important. And uh, yeah, as long as, as it is this collaboration of ideas and experience and, uh, and passion, then it's, it's possible to have every, <laughs> every perspective. You are who you are, and like, you're obviously a driving force in making your movie. And so when I think about it a lot, it's like, would it be better for that movie not to exist or to exist? And I think as long as you're giving agency to people, well then, fucking fantastic, it exists, you know? Like that's pushing the ball forward. I don't think anyone's saying that cis white men can't make movies. <laughs> like, you should keep making movies, just be conscious. Like, and like for me too, if I'm telling a movie that's not from my perspective or not my life experience, like as long as I'm collaborating with someone that does have that life experience, then I think go for it. Because yes, it's better that it exists than versus it not existing at all. At least you're still trying to tell those stories. That's awesome. So Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And in, and in terms of being conscious, just like keep asking questions, even if you think that like, okay, I've done my work, like just I think keep going because that's the important thing of having a collaborator in that space is you think you're doing, you know, a, a maybe above the minimum or you're like reaching a max, but because you are not that person with that experience, you don't know where the minimum may lie or where the maximum may lie. So just like constantly keep questioning and constantly keep talking about stuff. And in the end, like that's what we want to do as artists is like we want to make things the best they can be. And what you were doing with your film, I mean, that's that's allyship, you know? I mean, that's the A in LGBTQIA. So even though you're not, you know, like that, you're in the community. You're the A, so you're, you're, you're doing good. It's not, the B's not silent, the A's not silent. There are no silent letters. Um, the last thing I'll say on that was something, off of something you said, uh, people can tell also, right? When you watch the movie, you can tell. If, if any of the voices that you wish were there were there, so. Christopher, you have a question or a comment or both? Um, kind of in the five-year plan that we've been kind of discussing with like how things are heading in a, in a positive direction, 
I'm kind of worried with things being, um, when we're talking about streaming, we're talking about things that like, where people are finding their niche to like watch what they want to watch so that they can feel comfortable rather than being challenged in a positive way. Um, how do artists combat that, where you can show or tell stories that are able to challenge people who disagree or need to be challenged in a positive way so we are able to bridge the divide, you know, work on this together as a whole country, not just sectioning off? Thanks. Thoughts? This is the perfect genre for it. I think, like, horror really shows, like, a way to get subtly through to those people. Just look at all the films in the 80s about the queer community, and people are just now being like, oh, wait. Wait, what? What? Oh, my God. Oh, I've, I've, been, I've been learning something completely different that I didn't realize I was already learning in the first place. So it's, I think, make the stories that are blatant, yes, but also make the stories that are subtle. Like, make sure you're doing your work to, like, show the characters that you want to see in a subtle way and making sure that you're sending a message because I think those will reach the audiences that you need to reach. The ones, like, promising young women who are going to reach the people who are already, like, talking about and a part of the conversation, you want to reach the people that aren't already there through your subtle genre. And I think that's the beautiful thing about genre and about horror, is that anything goes. You know, anything goes in horror, and you, and you can sneak stuff in there without really people realizing it, because you're masking it, disguising it in horror and genre and color, and, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can look even as far back as like the 60s with Rod Serling and Twilight Zone. You know, th there are definitely ways of engaging in these conversations and, you know, forcing people to engage in these conversations even if they don't realize they're engaging with them. And like both of you said, that's, that's the magic of horror. All right, got one more question or comment. Yeah, I just want to say it's kind of funny we're in a diversity panel and I'm your second white guy named John, who's straight. That's your question. Um, All straight Johns. Yeah, 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 come on down. Um, I was just curious, um, we were, there was a lot of really fruitful discussion about going from like a B to a C and that kind of thing. It kind of felt with the Me Too movement that was like, the hope was that there would be like an on-ramp to hopefully maybe go quicker than like whatever. And I know in like a lot of workspaces, there is a tangible difference, but now we're kind of like over the excitement, the initial hump of that, right? Do you guys see change after Me Too? Like, did it actually make anything, like, are we seeing anything better now? Or are we, like, regressing to, like, maybe, or maybe was there not even an advance? I actually run a huge Me Too group on Facebook that I didn't intend to even start. I created it during the movement for, like, friends of mine to talk about their experiences. And then, like, literally people from all over the world keep joining. And now there's, like, thousands of people. And I'm suddenly moderating this huge Me Too group that I never wanted to do. Um, but there's, like, a lot of backlash now. And it almost became so big that it, it, it almost injured the, the entire movement in general and did the opposite of what I thought it was going to do and it became like a punchline. It's like, oh, he's me tooing that person or like they're using it like a verb or they're like, you know, or there's men that are afraid. Like I've heard many men say this to me like, well, now I, I'm afraid to say anything. And it's like, well, if you're afraid to say anything, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> so you don't have to be afraid, just don't. Um, and, and, it, and you shouldn't be, if you're afraid, then you have to look at why you're afraid. Why are you afraid to say something? You, you wouldn't, the, the men who would never say something like that are not afraid. <laughs> so I think that in some ways it became bigger than itself and it became 
a, a, a joke in a way, and, and unfortunately, it limited the, the power that it had, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you can kind of look at it, it shifted to now the cancel culture. Uh, culture. <laughs> um, and it, it in a way, like, you know, if you look at it, a lot of people that use cancel culture has almost become a marketing thing. It's created a new audience of people that are going against that culture. And, you know, I think it is small and it, it's definitely, you know, on the losing side. I think that is kind of risen up since then. Um, but. You know, I think there is still like good happening because of the Me Too movement. Um. Yeah, I'll go off of that and say that there are positives and negatives. I would say that the positive is that those men are scared. Right. <laughs> so that's good yeah. because they should have been in the first place. Um, and I will say that, like, I just from knowing other women in the workforce, like, it is better in many ways as far as like they're not afraid to get harassed at work as much <laughs> as before. Um, so I would say there were positives. Of course, there were negatives in that, like, yeah, it got um, sensationalized. It got, it became a verb and a joke. Oh, he's afraid to get me too. Well, like, good, he should be afraid to get me too. You know what I mean? So yeah, there's both. Thank you. So we're gonna, we're running out of time. Bob, you can ask it. I just wanted to make sure. Uh, so we're running out of time. This is a really rich one, but um, let's try to get some quick answers. And then we're gonna wrap up with what makes you optimistic? Okay. So on the same subject that we were just on, because uh, I'm a big She-Hulk fan, and we all saw how like the online trolls kind of tried to pre-tank it. How are we trying to combat that? What can we do about this, the backlash you were talking about? I mean, I think... Again, I think those voices are there and they seem the loudest, but they, they're small, you know? It's, it's uh, I, I love She-Hulk. I know a lot of people that I talk to love She-Hulk. I, I work for an entertainment uh, news company that did weekly breakdowns. Like there's there's an audience for it and there there is a lot of love for it. I think it's just kind of trying to not feed the trolls. Don't let, you know, and unfortunately we are living in an age where, you know, due to a certain director's cut of a certain movie getting released by a certain studio, I think a lot of fans feel empowered by that to be toxic and that that toxicity can win and get their way and it's just sort of not letting it. That, that's gotta be the goal and to empower those voices in spite of those voices that seem louder but aren't. Yeah, I think it's really important to realize that there's a, there's a whole world outside of Twitter you know what I mean? Like Twitter isn't the, isn't, doesn't represent the whole world. So when I see yeah. So when I see bad press trending on Twitter, I'm just like, oh, it's 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 getting uh, some attention. Maybe people will tune in. And She-Hulk is a big hit, you know, regardless of of those early predictions. So yeah. Yeah. I'm, I don't know who else is on TikTok as an elder TikTok user, um, <laughs> but the She-Hulk filter. Huge. People yeah. fucking love it from all walks. Straight cis men are using it, loving it, being fabulous. And the queer community is using it and loving it and being fabulous. And so I would say, yeah, um, that the negative voices are there. They're always going to be there. Haters going to hate. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also so many positive voices and so many people who are empowered by that and who are rising up together in that and just being like, you know what? Like, I don't care if you like it or not, it's getting made, it's getting done, you know, so. Well, social's the proof of this demo shift, right? Like, you can watch through Facebook, Twitter, Snap, Insta, and now TikTok, you can see the tenor of the conversation shift based on who's using it, 
right? And TikTok's like wonderful and wholesome and I love it. Super fast. Cut. And also some of the negativity actually fuels the change. And I, that happened with when I was, I mean, I used to be married oh, to a woman during the whole Prop 8 thing. Look at the abortion thing. Like, yes, it's horrible what's going on in this country with Roe v. Wade and everything like devastating, but it's mobilizing people to do something and to change. And so let them be haters and use that to make a difference. Like use their negativity against them. Yeah. And and hopefully that will actually like be the agency and the change that we need to, to move forward. Okay, I wanna make sure we leave with lifted spirits. So one reason why you are optimistic that we will make prog so progress, help me, what? Social progress through horror in the five-year time frame we talked about. I mean, I'd like to hear from everybody. This panel, uh, these people that I'm sitting with who are making art and making, uh, important art and empowering voices that need to be empowered. And I think uh, these conversations are, are what gives me hope and this festival and uh, the work that's being put out, uh, I, I think it's only gonna get better. Um, yeah, I think using that negativity against them, that's for me very much um, the positivity, the way that I would see it. And also seeing cis straight white men coming down here asking questions and sitting in this room at all is amazing. The fact that this room is not filled with people that look like the people on the panel or are, are the people is amazing. And that's what we need more of because the allyship is, I think, bigger than any of the other letters in my opinion. So, because we need you. <laughs> um, I saw some filmmakers from a movie that I saw uh, opening night, Rad Chad's Revenge 2. And one of the things, I mean, the movie is wonderful and it's hilarious, check it out, it's on Shutter. But the thing that I really loved about it also is that they had uh, a queer relationship in it. And it, there wasn't, wasn't any problems in the story dealing with that relationship. Um, and I think so much of even just pushing things forward is just telling stories and showing the world as it is and making, you know, things that are normal, normal on screen as well, yeah. you know? It's not a plot point. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. Just about whatever the movie is about. Okay, yeah. let's keep going. Sorry. Why are you optimistic? Um, I'm going to continue off the conversations. I mean, even just beyond film festivals, I think, like, I'm going to say social media again, but these conversations are happening on social media. People are talking about it. Um, we're living in a world where reviewers have so much power, and we are, like, idolizing these reviewers, which is great because there are so many voices in the reviewership and in the journalism space right now. And I think, like, we are able to find different perspectives from that sense as well. And those are the conversations we are having off screen. Okay. Um, bouncing off a little bit what Jared, Jared said earlier about the democratization of, of uh, film and cinema and how more people have access to it because of streaming and technology, that gives me a lot of optimism. You know, Anyone can make a movie, and we talk mm -hmm. about five years from now, what will the technology look like five years from now? You know, and, and, and you can make a movie in your pocket. And young people are making movies every day, little TikToks, you know, and, and so I think there's a lot there that's gonna erupt in the next five years, especially depending on which way the pendulum swings. Mm -hmm. Take us home, Scott. Um, I think I'm also optimistic because just like as a viewer also, I'm seeing myself in female directors in horror right now. I don't know if you've seen Censored and like the smaller films that are coming up, the indie horror. I mean, I'm seeing more female directors and like it makes me so happy. So hopefully other, you know, other things follow and we get more and more underrepresented communities um, directing and helming the ship, as, as one would say. 
but yeah i've i've even in the last two years during covid i i can go on netflix and just be like yes okay a woman directed this fuck yeah you know so that makes me optimistic every year at the end of this panel the festival asks a commitment of the audience and everybody that participated. So we'll ask the same commitment that we do every year, which is take something that you learned today, something that was surprising to you or new to you or you hadn't worked out entirely for yourself. Take it away, think about it, and make a change. Make some social progress for yourself. So I'd like you to just take a second, think about what that commitment's going to be. You don't have to tell anybody, but take it away with you so that there's a there's progress made just out of this conversation. Now let them hear it for being a terrific panel. Thank you so much, everybody. And that's gonna wrap us for today. Coming up next, the new distribution. So we look forward to, in a few weeks, we'll have the other panel that was uh, conducted at Nightmares Film Festival this year on distribution. Mm-hmm. So that'll be coming uh, later on a Fright Club podcast. but. Next up is a Fright Club live recording back at Gateway Film Center with a fun movie. That's right. On Friday, November 11th, we are going to screen Deathgasm, which is <laughs> so much fun and will be much, much fun to watch with a big group of people, I think. And we are going to do a podcast on Conjuring's Gone Wrong. All right. So look forward to that. Uh, as always, keep in touch. If you have any comments about uh, this panel, love to hear them. You can find us on Twitter easily at Fright Club Pod. Also, remember, we have a special dedicated private Facebook group just for this podcast. Just look it up under Fright Club Podcast Group and uh, request to join, and you'll be joined. And uh, you can find us, of course, on other socials. Madwolf.com is the main website, and Madwolf Columbus on Facebook and Instagram. So thanks for listening. The next panel coming in a few weeks, the next Fright Club Live, November 11th. And until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Hi, this is Rex Sky. I'm Lane Sky. We're the writer and directors of... 